0: But the middle person is Carrie. She's the founder, and she's the one that God gave the original vision to. And then there's Grace on the far side. And then me, you can kind of recognize me. And then we have the elusive Paul, who is, we realized we don't have a picture for. <laughs> um, when we were beginning, I am not clicking. Did I do something? Okay. Okay. Uh, When we were beginning, we read the biography of George Mueller, and he really influenced the way that we wanted to um, go about in our business and ministry, and that was, he was a missionary from... Uh, Germany going to England God showed him to to um, have orphanages and I mean among other things but in with the orphanages he just prayed for the provisions and he didn't go around asking for it he just prayed and wanted it to be a testimony of what God had done through the power of prayer and just how specific God is how he loves to give to his children so um, that's a part of what we do and I wanted to share two stories with you of what he's done this year alone. Yeah, my thing's not working. <laughs> so at, um, when we first began, we got to uh, go on Summit Community Church this year. And when we were there, um, At the beginning before they started to give us like the lease and stuff they had thought that they were going to be able to let us use their well and as we got into it they realized that the capacity of what we needed for the water their well could not support so they said to us are you able to farm without water yeah (laughs) so this was like the hardest thing for me this was my major faith thing and so at the time, the prayer discipleship group was learning about protracted prayer. So you hold yourself away with God until he shows you something, right? I mean, so I was like, pray for me. I said this to the prayer discipleship group. I'm going to go and, and do this. And so I stayed up until three in the morning talking to God. And at the end of that, I'll pretend, um, I he gave me this those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy, he who goes out weeping, bearing seeds for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him, and I just found God was saying, go forward, I'm going to be with you, and I told my teammates, maybe I shouldn't have, even if I have to water these plants with my tears, God's telling us to go ahead, so he started, oops, oh, and God started to give us what we needed. We would pray about it. We have a prayer WhatsApp group as well. So they pray along with us. Some of you are in that. Um, and God was providing like fast, 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 like within a week, pretty much, we would see his hand working. So we prayed for a greenhouse and a man that I don't know very well, who works at Bayview Glen, his wife works at Summit. And he called me up and he's like, Tasha, I heard you got a 1.5 acres because of COVID, Bayview's closed, we have south-facing windows, want to put your plants there, so a thousand tomato and pepper plants went into Baby Glen, and he like took care of them, plus I have like a six by eight little tiny greenhouse, and it was all over my backyard, sorry to my <laughs> neighbors, we needed a shed, and within a week, it, God laid that on someone's heart to give it to us, plus people to build it, we needed a fridge, God gave us one that does Like it's even bigger than our garage, but he laid it on someone's heart. They just purchased it and gave it to us. We um, needed volunteers and with COVID restrictions, we're unsure of how to go about doing that. But then um, once we figured that out, it was like it just grew and blossomed. We had over 100 people, different people come to the farm. So they came as like churches were sent promoting us and sending us, which we didn't even know how they got to know us. And they would like invite other people. We had homeschool groups. We had teenagers. We had um, seniors therapy clubs. <laughs> we had um, just individuals, some coming up to three times a week for the whole growing season um I'm just going to skip that one we needed to have workers and God granted us the student um summer grant and so we have Andrew there on the one side and he was amazing at finding things in hedgerows like one day he found this big bunch of helium balloons for a 90 year old birthday and the other time he found this little cute umbrella and he would bring it out with him in the rain and then (laughs) Kayla on the other side She has mad organizing skills. She came the first time and she like organized our entire bin second time she was there. She like, you can see, you can see she's got her bag layered with green, red, green, red, green, red kale. Like it was just amazing to get to know them. We needed um, customers and God provided. So they paid at the beginning for 17 weeks. We would deliver them groceries and uh, we got as many as I thought we could hold. But then God was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> when Steve talked about that dry cracked ground, the only reason I took this picture was not to show the dry cracked ground as much as it was to be like, Lord, you've made radishes grow in this. I don't, I don't know how they are even coming out because May, and this is the time of May for the entire month, usually we get 80 millimeters of, of um, rain, which doesn't sound like a whole ton, but it's a lot one of the rainiest years or months but in our month this month they they first of all called it a drought now they've taken it back we got 12 millimeters of rain that on top of covid restrictions we were unable to get um our like our watering system set up there is a name for that and it's not coming to me irrigation that's it and so we would be getting like those totes that you see in the background but then we couldn't get um, the irrigation lines and then we get the irrigation lines and we don't have a pump and so then like it just was until mid-June we were watering by hand you can see Steve there watering by hand and it was like some days that was all I could was water by hand and i would transplant things come back the next day and the wind had blown them dead and i cracked inside i was just like angry at god i was like i spent time with you (laughs) i like heard from you you said to go ahead you led me into this mess i was angry i was like um the bible talks about when your heart's embittered and you're like a brute beast before him that was me, and I said to my team members, we're gonna have to give all the money back to those who have given for donations, to those who have given for the bags. We just have to give it all back. And wisely, <laughs> they said to me, um, let's go up and pray. So the team and their um, all of our uh, spouses also went up and we prayed, and as we were praying, God started to water my own heart. And he said to me, Tasha, this is my farm. It's not your farm. And if this weight that you're feeling is so strong, that's because you're taking on a weight that's not your own. If I desire this farm to fail, that's my choice. If I desire this farm to um, explode and do well, that's my choice too. And all the glory goes to me. And I'm like, right. And he said, when you are coming to me right now, you are begging me for things. You are asking me for things for this in particular, but you are not coming to know me, and I want you to come in order to know me, and then just to work out of that. There's nothing against praying for something, but that was where my heart was in the wrong, and he gave me this verse. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail, so it's very specific for me, and from that time on, I would- go to the farm, sit in the car or on a lawn chair, set the timer and just spend time with God, make sure I didn't pray about the items necessary for the farm. I would just rest in his word and be rejuvenated. And the second day after we prayed up there, it rained a week later, it rained hard and long and I never had to deal with that issue in my heart again. And we had plenty and we got irrigation. And my second story comes from near the very end. we have no picture of Paul. So I put up this flower, but (laughs) (laughs) Paul came to us around in the middle of August and said, we need around $6,000 in order to finish well. And we're like $6,000. Okay. So like we prayed, we tried things. God seemed to be putting a blockage up. Things on our website didn't sell very well or, you know, like things just weren't moving through. And we're like, God, there seems to be a blockage. What is it you're wanting us to do? And we meet every Tuesday for prayer during the growing season. And God said to invite the WhatsApp prayer team to go on the land, much like we did with just our team to do that with the prayer WhatsApp team. And some were able to come up. It was COVID. So it was still like, who knows? But we had quite a few come up and we prayed and we worshiped on August the um, 17th, I think. And a week from that date, we were on our our weekly prayer thing. We ca- I come home. I'm I'm on the phone going home from the farm to home, and there's a big fat envelope waiting for us at home. This is an anonymous envelope, and it's saying, you know, we wanted to um, to give to you. And if there's anyone here who also gave to that, just thank you so much. There was five thousand dollars inside, and we got to experience that on the phone together. And so you might be saying, hey, that's not so specific. You said 6,000, and that was five. Let me tell you what comes next. So then Kevin goes to work around a week later, and inside of the – his mailbox there's this um, thing to Sparrow and Co and they've made like this sweet little background and everything in this little letter right a thousand dollars the six thousand we needed in total God so specifically provides so then Carrie um, who you saw at the beginning she was thinking okay we've got enough to end well but how do we begin for next year? So we started to pray about that. She goes home. And then here, God provided in her mailbox, another anonymous thing for $999 in a money order. And it's just, it's incredible to me that God wants to do this. He's not always going to answer like this. Sometimes he'll answer like he did with the rain and like, you know, really make you seek his face for it. But His desire is for us, not against us, right? And his desire is to provide for his children. And it says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And that is it. That is what I wanted to share. Thank you for listening. I just love God. (laughs)
1: Our first scripture reading this afternoon is from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. The one who believes in it will not be disturbed. And our second passage this morning is from John
2: chapter 6. John chapter 6 and uh, verse
1: 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in whom he has sent. And lastly, I want to read the, the part of a story from Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 31. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have been arrested and thrown into prison uh, because they were testifying about Jesus Christ, and they have been put into prison and are being kept under, under Roman guard. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Verse 29. And the jailer asked for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he had brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him together with all who were in his house. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth the meditations of all our hearts, Lord, would they be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: We, uh, we like control, right?
1: Uh, when in doubt, we want the ball in our hands. Uh, we want our marriage just between us and our spouse. We want our, even our salvation in our grasp. Uh, don't believe me? Well, here's just a small sample of the ads from last Sunday night's 49ers-Cowboys game. Invest your way, says TD Investing. Uh, you can watch your shows on any screen anywhere from 5TV. Discover the Rab 4 for you, says Toyota. Now, maybe it's just NFL fans who want control, or maybe it's Advertisers who target NFL fans who think they want control. But I think we know
2: better. I think we know ourselves better.
1: Truth be told, however, I'm not sure I've ever felt more out of control than during this whole COVID-19 pandemic. You know, in in Canada, we have historically given a a lot of control to our government as as a people especially compared to our southern cousins in America. You know, it's cold here, much colder than it is in the States. Lots of political thinkers surmise that in in Canada, it's our geography and our climate which have made us so much more willing to defer to our elites and to our governing classes over time in hopes that they'll keep the lights on, the heat working, and the jobs flowing. So while live free or die might be a popular slogan in New Hampshire, and might sort of summarize America's view of their relationship to control. Uh, I think the average Canadian's view is is a bit more like that, um, that phrase from the musical Oliver. Please, sir, some more. But whether you're a live, free, or die kind of person, or a please, sir, I want some more kind of person, We all know that control is not something we, as sinners, surrender easily. And so I know on this third solid Sunday, I know it's going to be the hardest for some of us to bear. I know this third belief that the Bible calls us to believe in for a firm foundation for a 2022 will strike the hardest blow against our sense of who we are. What is it that the Bible calls us to believe in on this third solid Sunday? Remember that this solid series is looking at seven firm foundations for a a positive 2022 from the Bible. Uh, Very simply, I I searched for believe in as a phrase on BibleGateway.com and came up with 71 results, organized them into seven different categories. And we're looking today at the third of these seven categories. Well, the third solid Sunday is, surprisingly enough, about belief in Jesus. I I asked us to believe in God a few weeks ago, to believe in the Ten Commandments last week, and now believe in Jesus. Come on, Jake, you're, you're getting paid for this? This is a little too simple. Well, bear with me, and let's explore together the three dimensions of this third firm foundation for a solid 2022 belief in Jesus. We'll look today at what is belief in Jesus, why we should believe in Jesus, and to what benefit believing in Jesus provides. What is belief in Jesus? You know, the Bible is personal. From the beginning, God is revealed as a a person who created the world in a relationship to himself. He creates human beings who who relate to his world, to each other, and and to him. My educational background is in the Greek and Roman uh, history, religion, and culture. And so what I'm saying about the Bible may not sound revolutionary, but please understand that this makes all the difference. Uh, The Bible is not primarily concerned with ideas or ideals, not morals or morality. It's not primarily about philosophy or philosophies. It's not really a political or a political theory document. This is very much unlike the ancient Greek myths out of which the same world the Bible emerged. They primarily teach morals. The the Quran, which has a lot to say about politics and political theory, uh, very unlike the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, which the Greco-Roman, which, like the Greco-Roman myths, is really about morality and about social structure. You no, know, the Bible actually, upon reflection, seems universally untouched by concerns about anything other than the people of the Bible. God creates people in Genesis 1 and 2. God grieves the loss of his relationship with us in Genesis 3. God calls a person, Noah. He calls another person, Abram. He calls a a person and his wife, Abram and Sarai. God gifts that couple with a child, Abram and Sarai. It, It goes on and on. There are laws in the Bible, but it's not a book of laws. There are ideas in the Bible, but it's not a book of ideas. There is history and argument and artistry and art and poetry, but the Bible is really not defined by any of those. It's no wonder that when God wanted to rectify the world that we had broken, what did he do? He didn't send an idea or an army. He sent a person, his son, Jesus of Nazareth. That person was prophesied about for hundreds of years before his arrival. One such place where he was prophesied about is in Isaiah 26, which you see on the screen before me. Isaiah 26, 18, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. The one who believes in it will not be disturbed. Now, in Isaiah 26, this person who is coming is compared to a stone. But note that this stone, a tested precious cornerstone, is to be believed in. You don't believe in stones, especially in 6th century Judah. Uh, you burnish stones, you cut stones, you maybe throw stones, but you don't believe in them. In Isaiah 26, the people of Judah are facing an invasion from Babylon. This invasion will end their kingdom. It will destroy their temple. It will will see their population decimated and carried off into exile. In the face of this intruder, the leaders of Judah, to whom Isaiah is speaking, uh, rather than seeing their circumstance as a sign of a spiritual problem, they see it only in political terms. Rather than seeing their problem as a people problem between them and God, They see it as something to be solved by having a new alliance with Egypt. And so what happens is Isaiah says, and it's Isaiah 26, 18, see, I'm going to put this stone in the midst of you. And if you believe in him, you'll be set free. This stone, of course, being his Messiah, his anointed one. They wanted to solve their problems politically, in a way keeping control for themselves. But God wants them to trust in his person. He's asking the people to see their problem not as a political problem nor a philosophical or historical or moral one. No, he's asking them to see that their problem is a personal one, that they've offended him by their sins. And he's sending a person to solve this problem, the person
2: of Jesus. What on earth am I going on about?
1: The first dimension of this third solid Sunday is this. The Bible asks you and I, whether here or online, not to believe in Christianity, not to believe in me, not to believe in this church or that denomination or trust in this creed. Christianity, pastors, churches, creeds, we all have roles to play. But what the Bible, what God, your Creator and Heavenly Father, wants for you is to believe in the person of Jesus. Religions, morals, institutions, professionals, we all have a part to play in helping your faith. But none of them are as important as the person God sent. He sent his son, not an idea, not an army. He sent his son for you,
2: to be with you, to save you.
1: And listen, I've been at this being a pastor for a long time. And on my watch, on my watch, during my generation of leading the church in Canada, we are now in the middle of what is probably going to be called by historians years from now, the largest single exodus of Christians from worshiping participation in their local churches ever witnessed in English-speaking Canada. It's long been predicted that as many as one-third of Canada's 27,000 churches would close within the next seven to ten years. The United Church of Canada, our brothers and sisters there, by their own admission, are closing. Can you imagine one church a Sunday? And let's be clear, that's how this whole thing for me, for us, works. We gather together, people give, the church is funded, people like myself are looked after. And I don't know how much longer churches like Rouge Valley or other churches can keep going. Maybe it's five years, maybe it's one year, maybe it's a hundred years. Only God knows. But what I do know from these last 28 years in ministry is this is that whether I or this church or any other pastor or any other denomination survives one year, five years, or a hundred years, what I do know is that Jesus will be there for
2: you. That a church, any church, is
1: only as useful and is only used by the degree, by God, to the point where it connects people with Jesus. So if we want a future for Rouge Valley Church, then our whole job is to help people not to find us or to find me or to find you or to find this building or to find us at this time or in this URL online. Our whole point is to help people connect with Jesus. There might have been a time where you could convince people to come to your church and then they might find Jesus along the way. That you could sort of market or sell a church socially. Come and join our club, and then hopefully maybe you'll find Jesus. But it's not becoming more socially acceptable to come to church. People are not getting points out in the world for being here, like they perhaps used to. So to come here, it's costing you something out there. So if we now have a a group where it costs people to belong, then more than ever, when people come,
2: they need to find Jesus.
1: Why believe in Jesus? What it is, belief in Jesus. Secondly, why believe? Why is belief in Jesus true? Why is it correct? Why is it the right thing to do? Because Jesus is alone, trustworthy. I'm not asking you, and the Bible, frankly, does not ask you to believe in Jesus like you believe in your bank balance, because you can look it up and see it and go withdraw that money from the bank or receive it in an envelope in the mail. I ask you to believe in the Jesus the way you believe in love. You cannot put love in a beaker and boil it. You cannot... Put love, the, the, and, yet, uh, and yet love is what animates most of Western literature. You can't put love on a scale and weigh it. Yet men and women will do all manner of feats to prove their love for one another. You can't put love under a microscope and dissect it. Yet love is what holds our world, our families together through the miles, across the lockdowns, even over Zoom. Long-time skeptic, turned late-in-life believer, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, quote, I believe in Jesus as I believe that the sun has risen, not because I see it, but because by him I see everything else, unquote. Are there problems with believing in Jesus? Of course. The main problem with believing in Jesus are the other people who believe in Jesus, But I love what the 15th century Roman Catholic theologian Thomas Aquinas wrote about belief. He said, quote, we can't have full knowledge all at once. We must start by believing and then afterwards we may be led on to master the evidence for ourselves, unquote. So I'm not asking you, God's not asking you to believe in me or believe that all that RVC believes or all that other Christians believe or have done or ever done or will do. I'm asking you to do what Jesus told his disciples to do in John 6 29 our second verse this morning which we read earlier today where Jesus answered and said to them this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent and please know that belief in the Bible is not simply understanding this is not an intellectual assent. ah yes Jesus lived and did this or that 20th century Chinese church leader and mystic Watchman Nee once wrote, quote, many confuse understanding with believing, unquote. Believing in Jesus is about trusting, putting control of your life, that thing we're so reticent to give up and all the advertisers use against us, putting control of your life in his hands. And that's the hard part. Understanding and believing in Jesus is Sort of like the difference, bear with me now, because I'm trying to use a social media example. Believing in Jesus is sort of the difference between liking a video on YouTube and subscribing to a YouTube channel. You might roll through YouTube and I have a certain problem, which I'll confess right now. My problem is that I am addicted to watching cruise ship news channels. So on YouTube, I kid you not, there are people who specialize in doing 15 to 20 minute long, sometimes two or three a day, cruise ship news broadcasts. And they have hundreds of thousands of followers. One of them is me. And what happens on YouTube when you like any one kind of video, what happens? You know what happens. YouTube then sends you more. And so you can scroll through YouTube and you can like the odd cat video. Or I've even heard about people who are really into porcupine videos and you can like a porcupine video. Or in my case, you can like uh, a, um, a cruise ship news channel and all of a sudden your computer is filled with nothing or almost nothing but cruise ship news. And then you are, of course, bidden to not just like that video but to subscribe so that from now on every time a cruise ship news in fact probably even during this sermon i will get a little notification saying so one of the guys i follow is don's cruises from ottawa and i'm not joking uh, i will get a notification now don's cruises posted a new video
2: lots of us like jesus but are we
1: subscribed? Is he just something we're scrolling by and taking in as we want? Or is he something we stop everything for and watch when he speaks to us? Matthew chapter 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't just hit the like button on Jesus. We want you to subscribe. What is belief in Jesus? Why believe? And lastly, to what benefit? Well, I can't cover all the benefits that belief in Jesus brings you or your family, your community, our church, your world. But I will talk from our third verse today about one of the first and most important benefits. And, it, uh, and I'll talk about it from Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household. That's what Paul and Silas said to the jailer. Now in Acts 16, Paul and his companions are in prison, like I said, for reasons that really don't matter. Um, Have you ever been in prison? I've been to prison, not as a prisoner, um, but as a a chaplain. Uh, I visited my own congregants in prison, and there was for a time when ministers that got themselves in trouble and they became prisoners, I would be sent to go visit them. Um, if there's one word that summarizes life in prison, it's control. From where you park to how you get into prison to who you can visit and when you can visit, when you can eat, where you can eat, what you can bring in, what, how long you can stay, what you can't bring in, it's all strictly controlled. The same was true in Paul's day about prison. In fact, being a jailer in Paul's day was a subcontract you could win from the Romans by bidding on the right to be a jailer. You then could make back the amount you bid to run the jail by extorting the prisoners, uh, uh, by collecting a fee on the debts they owed you um, in the first place. That's how it was like a business, you would run. The only catch was that if the Romans brought you a prisoner and you were looking after a Roman state prisoner, then they had a zero escapee policy which meant if the Romans entrusted you a state prisoner, not just a regular old prisoner, and the person that was under Roman guard that they had given to you escaped, then your life was demanded of you. That's why in this story, the jailer goes to take out his sword and end his life when the earthquake happens and every all the doors open because he thinks the people have escaped and now the Romans are going to come because he let their prisoners, Paul and Silas, escape. The Romans are going to come and kill him. You know, it's a pretty good gig being a jailer for the Romans, but it has a really high performance threshold. But that's why Paul yells out, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. So, for that reason, in Paul's day and in ours, prisons are run by people who are really into control. But look again at verse 30. And after he brought them out, what did the jailer say to Paul and Silas? He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What's belief in Jesus do for us? Even those of us whose whole career, whose whole way of life, whose actual very life depends on being in charge, being the baddest, being the most authoritative, being the most in control person than a Roman jailer. Look what he says. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you hear it? The jailer calls his prisoners sirs belief in Jesus made this jailer, call the jailed, sirs. What's the first and most important benefit for you and I when we believe in Jesus? Humility. It's the admission that our life is not in our control. That regardless of what the ads say on Sunday night, regardless of what our job requires of us, even as a jailer, that when you turn your life over to Christ, you realize that you're not your own God. And even the jailer is able to call the jailed sirs. 16th century Roman Catholic priest turned Protestant reformer, Martin Luther wrote, quote, God made man out of nothing. And as long as we are nothing, he can make something out of each one of us. So on this third solid Sunday, RVC, what should you believe in for Affirm 2022? believe in Jesus. Why should you believe in him? Because he alone is trustworthy. And lastly, to what benefit is there to believe in Jesus? Believing in him means we can stop believing in ourselves, stop trusting ourselves for our own salvation, stop making ourselves our own gods,
2: and turn our lives over to him. Amen, and thank you for listening.